Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. I was thinking about my time as a public school teacher in the 1980s. And back then, we still used slate chalk boards, if anybody remembers that, with chalk, and it always break, and it was messy. You know, today when we do a document or something, we press the delete button. Back then, how do we delete what we wrote on the chalkboard? We used an eraser. We erased it. That's where the term wipe the slate clean came from. It was coined in the 1800s, not only to be a literal wiping of the slate clean, But also metaphorically, if you paid off your loan, you can wipe your slate clean. If you paid off your dues, you can wipe your slate clean. Criminals who served their sentence came out with a clean slate. So for us, under the new covenant of grace, we take this in the spiritual context. That every sin, every mistake, every thought, every misstep have all been wiped clean from your record. The criminal is set free. I have been given a clean slate, and my slate has been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. So because of God's covenant, which is a promise with us through his son, Jesus Christ, we can start over with a clean slate. Our record is clean. Our slate has been wiped clean, not just from yesterday, not just from today, but from tomorrow. That means every mistake, every sin that you will make has been wiped clean by the blood of Jesus Christ. It has been deleted from your record and put in the trash bin for eternity. And it's been emptied. And we are clean. We are wiped clean. There's no paper trail. All outstanding debt has been forgiven. That's the new covenant. So today when we talk about part seven, a new normal, a new covenant, we're going to deal with Peter. Last week we talked of Saul's conversion to Paul in Acts 9. Today we're going to pick up in Acts 10 where Peter becomes the focus of attention as God blows Peter's mind with new information that goes directly against Peter's worldview. When God says to him in Acts 10, 15, Peter Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That statement by God to Peter is the essence of God's new covenant. So let's talk about the new covenant first. The new covenant transcends religion. It transcends all religion. Now, Peter, although he was a fisherman, he was a Jew, and he valued his heritage, and he tried to honor his religion. In fact, God chose Peter to build his church. In fact, salvation comes from the Jews because Jesus is Jewish. The whole church was birthed with Jews, with God's Jewish people. Peter was the one who spoke the very first Christian sermon on Pentecost as a new person in Christ being filled with the Holy Spirit. He experienced that first Pentecost 
when God's Spirit was poured out as promised from the Old Testament, the Spirit now is the main ingredient of God's new covenant as the Spirit of God comes and dwells in the believer in this tent. So Peter was God's instrument of change, which he brought as a new normal. But guess what? Peter wasn't ready. So grab your uh, Bibles, turn to Acts 10 if you have them. We're going to go through this passage together. We're going to start on verse 9. It starts off with saying, On the next day, as they, and that's referring to Cornelius and Cornelius's men, and we'll talk about Cornelius in a little bit, they were on their way and approaching the city where Peter lived, and Peter went up on the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. That was noon. But guess what? He became hungry because it's lunchtime. And he was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparations for lunch, he fell into a trance. And that Greek word, ecstasis, we get our word ecstasy, but it's a heightened state of consciousness. And he saw the sky opened up and an object like a great sheet coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. And there were in it all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. And remember, Peter's hungry. And the earth and the birds of the air, a voice came to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter, being a good Jew, says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy and unclean. Again, a voice came for a second time. Peter, what God has cleansed, no longer consider it unclean or unholy. And then verse 16, this happened three times, which I guess God had to deal a lot with Peter three times because he didn't get it. And immediately the object was taken up into the sky. Acts 10, 14, the ESV translation translates a little different. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common And if you remember back to the sermon I preached about God's fellowship and the word koinonia, which comes from the root word koinos, which means common. So Peter's saying, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. Because here's the deal. God's people, the Jews, were called out to be uncommon, to be holy, which means set apart for God. They were called out of the world, although they were still in the world. And the purpose was to be a nation of a kingdom of priests. What do priests do? They serve and they stand in behalf. They point people to God. So Israel was supposed to be a beacon of light to a dark world because God rescued them from darkness in Egypt where they were in bondage to sin and death by Pharaoh and rescued them, the Exodus, and took them as his own, called them as his own, and brought them out of the land of death and into the land of life, which was the promised land, the land of Canaan. And he gave them special instructions through Moses. These instructions, the commandments, were for Israel's benefit and to help them live according to God's plan. He also gave them a special way to worship him, rituals, and a temple that was built exactly to God's specifications. But like us, 
Israel failed on all fronts. In fact, Ezekiel writes that the shepherds of God's people basically have become evil. They became power hungry. They burdened God's people to the point with excessive laws that it became an anchor around the neck of the people. And that's when Jesus shows up. Now he's calling out the religious leaders, the shepherds. Why are you doing this? You're supposed to be helping the sheep, not harming the sheep. Peter, as sinful as he was, he tried to live his best according to God's law. We know that he didn't, but he was forgiven in Christ. And of these laws, many of these commandments had to do with diet, with things that they could eat and things that they couldn't eat. And God gave specific instructions as to what was kosher to eat and what was not. And you can find that in Leviticus 11. But as all God's law, it wasn't because he didn't want them to enjoy things. It was for their benefit um, to not eat things that could harm them and actually kill them. So Peter's statement that he has never eaten anything common or unholy is probably true. He probably did live up to that part of the law. So that's why the statement that God makes to Peter had to blow his mind. He says in Acts 10.15, Peter, what God has made clean, do not call common or unclean. Now, what exactly is God referring to? Is he referring to food that's made clean? Or is he referring to something else? Let's look at that. The language, what God has made clean, do not call. It's passage there. It gives a clue. It's a command. And it's with a negative. It says, do not do this. So this implies stop an action that's already in progress. So right there, the language gives us a clue that God is doing something different. And when he says, do not do this, he's going to say, now do this. Jesus gives us even more clarity in his own words in Mark chapter 7, where he's speaking to the Pharisees and his disciples. He says, don't you understand that whatever goes into the man from outside, which is food, can't defile him because it does not go into his heart, but it goes into his stomach and is eliminated. And then Mark's commentary there, thus Jesus declared all foods clean. So we already see that Jesus is implementing the new covenant. He's talking about it. And then third, Peter gives more insight later as he was explaining what happened in Acts 15, 9. And Peter's telling to the church in Acts 15, he says, God made no distinction between us Jews and them Gentiles. He cleansed their hearts by faith. So what we're seeing here is the new covenant is for everybody. So is God speaking of food or people? Both. Because certain foods were unclean or common, and all Gentiles, non-Jews, were unclean and common. So the new covenant changed all that. Now all of a sudden, what was before is now, a new normal. Think about the problem that the church, and Acts 15 speaks a lot of this, The problem that would happen if the Jewish Christians would 
interact in fellowship with the Gentile Christians? How could a Jew associate with a Gentile if they couldn't even enter the Gentile's home? Can you imagine that? You couldn't even go in someone's home. You couldn't dine with them, and eating together is a huge way of connecting. So Acts chapter 15 deals with the problem. Like imagine if today you had to segregate due to ethnicity. But if we're in Christ, we're one in Christ. Everything has been changed. So it's simply not possible to fully accept someone into God's fellowship if there's any kind of barrier, including food. That's the great news. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says in Matthew 27, 51, all barriers were destroyed. It said, at that moment, the veil of the temple, which separated man from God, was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rock split. That's how the new thing that God did and is continuing to do today was implemented. The veil that separated us from God was torn by him top to bottom. And now there's nothing, no barriers that separates us from God and each other in Christ. Now, maybe it's not food. If you're a Gentile Christian, a believer, you probably didn't have to deal with food barriers and issues. But how about religion? For me, I remember when the veil of Catholicism was torn in two. I stepped out of religion and into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything changed. My worldview changed. I had that rooftop experience like Peter. Whereas before I saw God as mean and angry, I now saw him as loving and merciful. Whereas before I saw heaven as a place I might get into, if I were good enough, I now saw heaven as my home because God is good enough. Whereas before I tried really hard to work my way into God's favor, I now saw Jesus as the one who worked on my behalf, gaining God's favor by faith in him and his grace. Whereas before I was unclean and common, I am now holy and forgiven, a child of God. For me, it wasn't an issue of dietary restriction. It was an issue of a false gospel a theological misunderstanding. I was fed a diet of false gospel. And then the sky opened up, heaven came down, the veil was lifted from my eyes, and I saw the reality of what God did for me. So that's why the new covenant transcends all religion. Secondly, the new covenant transcends race. The new covenant transcends race. You know, race is a hot topic. It's an issue of contention in our world today. And by the way, it's biblically true and scientifically proven that we have all descended from one set of parents, Adam and Eve. Therefore, we are of one race, the human race. But the color of skin today has become the means by which we are identified and separated. The human race has become diluted with ethnicity, which causes division and disharmony. The song, We Are the World, has become, Stay Out of My World, because you don't understand my world. Now think about the early church who struggled with this. 
Jewish Christians had to figure out how to get along with Gentile Christians, and they weren't even supposed to go in their home. Stay away. You're different than me. Because the Jews lived under the old covenant, which was a covenant specifically given to the sons of Israel, and it was exclusive. But when Jesus broke the barriers and the veil was torn, bringing in the new covenant, it became inclusive. Anybody could enter into the kingdom of God and become a child of God by faith in Christ. So Peter's interaction with Cornelius was the signifying moment. So let's talk about Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He feared God and he gave his alms, A-L-M-S, which is his earnings, to the Jewish people. He supported the Jewish people. So God appears to Cornelius in a dream and says, I've heard your prayers and I've seen your offerings to my people. He directs Cornelius to dispatch some of his men to a man named Simon, who's also called Peter. And that's in Acts 10.5. So it's while Cornelius' men are on their way to meet Peter, Peter is having this housetop epiphany. And so we'll pick up where we left off in Acts 10.17. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed about what God just showed him in the vision and what he said, the men who had been sent by Cornelius, having asked directions to Simon's house, appears at Peter's gate and calling out. They're asking whether Simon, who's called Peter, was staying there. While Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, Peter, three men are looking for you. So get up, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgivings or hesitation. For I have sent them myself. So Peter went down to the man and said, I am the one you are looking for. Why are you here? And they said, Cornelius, a Roman centurion, a righteous and God-fearing man, well spoken of by the entire nation of the Jews because he supported them, was divinely directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and hear a message from you. And this is a big thing. So Peter invites them into his house. If Peter didn't see that vision, didn't understand what God was trying to do, Peter would have sent them away. And then on the next day, he got up and went away with them. And some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the following day, he entered Caesarea, where Cornelius lived. So Cornelius was waiting for them. And he calls together his family, his relatives and friends. And when Peter enters, Cornelius meets him. And what does Cornelius do? He falls at Peter's feet and worships him. I mean, he's heard about Peter. Now, instead of Peter going, oh, thank you for the worship, Peter says, get up. I'm a man like you. As we talk with him, he entered and found many people assembled, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him. There's a race issue. And yet God has shown me that I should not call any any man unholy or unclean. That's why I came without hesitation. 
or objection when I was sent for. So I ask for what reason you have sent me. And Cornelius said, four days ago to this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour, which is three o'clock. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. We don't know if it's an angel or the Lord himself. He said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard and your gifts have been remembered before God. Therefore, send to Joppa and invite Simon, who's called Peter, to come to you. He's staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, Peter, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, we're all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What an open door, all orchestrated by God. And open in his mouth, Peter says, I now fully understand that God does not show partiality. And what that means is the actual translation would be God is not a respecter of persons. The playing field is leveled. Nothing separates each other and us from God if when we are in Christ. It goes on, but in every nation, the man who fears God and does what is right is welcome into his kingdom. The word which he sent to the sons of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. And here's the tip of the mountain. He is the Lord of all. Jesus is the Lord of all people, whether you're white, black, or any other color. And by the way, that color that you have is beautiful because God gave that to you. The only way someone's going to get past the issue of race is to realize that it is in and through Jesus Christ that someone can transcend race. If you're outside of Christ, we can have a good conversation, but there's so many barriers there. The main barrier that needs to be lifted is sin that separates us from God. Because we can become a new person in Christ and be identified as a Christian. The new covenant transcends race because it's for all people. Jesus is the Lord of all. Now listen to this. In the kingdom of God, it is not the color of someone's skin that identifies who you are. It is the color of Jesus Christ's blood. That's what identifies us as who we are. Now, as I said, this doesn't diminish the beauty of God's image displayed through the color of our body. The body God gave you, if redeemed in Christ, We'll rise with Christ. Jesus' body, as colorful as it was, rose, that same body that was perishable, rose imperishable, color and all. Listen, this is why it's so important to preach the true gospel. Because here is what the true gospel says. It's not about skin. It's about sin. Unless your sin problem is dealt with, your skin problem is going to be the least of your problems. Unless you do what is right, which is believe in God's one and only Son for forgiveness, your sin is what separates you from God, not your skin. And the new covenant in Christ, His blood transcends all race. And then third, the new covenant is a covenant of grace. Of grace. Now isn't it interesting that the race word is in there? Because when you take G, God, out of it, it all becomes about something else. 
But it's about grace. The difference between what Peter used to believe and what he believed now was the difference between works, trying to work your way to heaven, and grace, which is accepting Jesus' work on your behalf. Peter was under a covenant of works in Christ. He became a new creation under a covenant of grace. So Peter no longer had to work for God's love because God's love worked for him. God's grace is for all people. Acts 10.43, and Peter says this, everyone who believes in him receives what? Forgiveness of sins. It doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what you've done. If you believe in Jesus Christ, your slate is wiped clean. All your sins, yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Whether you're a Cornelius or a Peter, it's open for everybody. Because the new covenant is a covenant of grace. It's inclusive. Anybody who wants to believe in Jesus Christ can receive forgiveness of sins. Because Jesus did all the work. All you have to do is believe. You don't have to do because it's all done. If you believe, you will receive. That is the essence of God's new covenant. The covenant is a promise. And in the Bible, all the covenants are implemented by God. No person ever woke up one day and said, God, I promise to do. No, God said, I promise. And some promises were bilateral, meaning or covenants were bilateral, meaning that there was a part that you were to do in order to receive God's blessing. The new covenant is a covenant of grace and the fact that all we have to do is one thing, believe. If you believe, you receive all of God's riches and inheritance in Christ. So what should we expect when this is over? Well, the question is, where are you with God's grace? Because that's an important question. Are you stuck on the rooftop trying to figure it out? Or has God opened your eyes and shown you the way, Jesus Christ? Are you trying to work your way to heaven and do a bunch of things? Or do you believe that Jesus did all things and all you have to do is believe and you will receive forgiveness? That's why Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, which is a very important passage. In fact, Martin Luther the person that started the Reformation in the 1500s, he was a monk, Catholic monk, and he was reading his Bible one day, and God showed up and lifted the curtain from his eyes, and he read this. I'll read it with me, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. That is the gospel. That is the good news. That is what the new covenant is based on. There's nothing you can do to make it better, but there's a lot you can do to mess it up. All you have to do is receive forgiveness through Christ, and your slate will be wiped clean. So if you're ready to live according to God's grace, and not your own effort, then expect a new freedom and peace that will surpass all 
understanding, the peace that came when that weight of the world was lifted as I was trying to earn favor, earn God's favor by going to church and doing all these things for him that I thought I was doing, and they were like filthy rags. And every time I helped people, I was doing it not because necessarily I wanted to help people, but I wanted to show God how good of a person I was. That's called self-righteousness, and that's a barrier. If you want to get past self-righteousness, then you got to believe in His righteousness. And His righteousness will make you clean, and you'll be as clean as white as snow if you believe. And I know there are Christians out there today who are still trying to work for God's favor. You're trying to be like Peter, a good Jew, you know, or a good Christian. And God's saying, come up to the rooftop for a minute. Let me blow your mind. It's not about you. It's never about you. It's always about him. There's nothing you can do to receive the new covenant except believe. Where are you in belief? Are you imprisoned by unbelief? And I'm not just talking to unbelievers today. If you happen to jump onto our live stream and you have never heard the gospel, then today's your day. God has you on the rooftop. Your eyes have been opened. He came down from heaven to show you. And you can receive forgiveness. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer in a minute. But I'm talking to also people who claim to be believers. But in unbelief, you've fallen into a works-oriented gospel, which is a false gospel, instead of a grace-oriented gospel, which is the true gospel. God did everything for you. Just believe. Let's pray. Father, I pray first for the person who, for the first time, heard the true gospel of grace, of the new covenant, the new promise in Christ, that you have opened their eyes and now they can just ask you in their heart to come into their life. And by doing this, they can be made clean. All their sins are washed away. The slate is clean. As they believe in you and what you did for them, you just say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you died for my sins and I believe that you rose from the dead and I asked you to come into my life. And God promises that he will make you a new creation at that moment. I also pray, Lord, for those who have been on the rooftop before and have fallen into the pit of unbelief about grace because grace is not just what saves us. Grace is what gives us the power to live. If it were up to us, we would just crawl into a hole and never come out. But because of your grace, we are forgiven. Yeah, we mess up, but we move on because of your grace. And we can't make that gospel better. We can only mess it up. (laughs) So Lord, speak and show us if there's any area of unbelief about your grace and love for us that we would give it and we would go on the rooftop with you and that we would believe you because you came down from heaven to show us the way. And the way is Jesus Christ. In his name, amen. Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. 
For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-